Chapter One of the Red Gauntlet by Sir Walter Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Chapter One Narrative The advantage of laying before the reader, in the words of the actors themselves, the adventures which we must otherwise have narrated in our own, has given great popularity to the publication of epistolary correspondence as practised by various great authors and by ourselves in the preceding chapters nevertheless a genuine correspondence of this kind and heaven forbid it should be in any respect sophisticated by interpolations of our own can seldom be found to contain all in which it is necessary to instruct the reader for his full comprehension of the story also it must often happen that various prolixities and redundancies occur in the course of an interchange of letters which must hang as a dead weight on the progress of the narrative to avoid this dilemma some biographers have used the letters of the personages concerned or liberal extracts from them to describe particular incidents or express the sentiments which they entertained while they connect them occasionally with such portions of narrative as may serve to carry on the thread of the story it is thus that the adventurous travellers who explore the summit of mont blanc now move on through the crumbling snowdrift so slowly that their progress is almost imperceptible and anon abridge their journey by springing over the intervening chasms which cross their path with the assistance of their pilgrim staves or to make a briefer simile the course of story-telling which we have for the present adopted resembles the original discipline of the dragoons who were trained to serve either on foot or horseback as the emergencies of the service required with this explanation we shall proceed to narrate some circumstances which allan fairford did not and could not write to his correspondent our reader we trust has formed somewhat approaching to a distinct idea of the principal characters who have appeared before him during our narrative but in case our good opinion of his sagacity has been exaggerated and in order to satisfy such as are addicted to the laudable practice of skipping with whom we have at times a strong fellow-feeling the following particulars may not be superfluous mr saunders fairford as he was usually called was a man of business of the old school moderate in his charges economical and even niggardly in his expenditure strictly honest in conducting his own affairs and those of his clients but taught by long experience to be wary and suspicious 
in observing the motions of others punctual as the clock of st giles told nine the neat dapper form of the little hale old gentleman was seen at the threshold of the court hall or at farthest at the head of the back stairs trimly dressed in a complete suit of snuff-coloured brown with stockings of silk or woollen as suited the weather a bob-wig and a small cocked hat shoes blacked as warren would have blacked them silver shoe-buckles and a gold stock-buckle a nosegay in summer and a sprig of holly in winter completed his well-known dress and appearance his manners corresponded with his attire for they were scrupulously civil and not a little formal he was an elder of the kirk and of course zealous for king george and the government even to slaying as he had shown by taking up arms in their cause but then as he had clients and connections of business among families of opposite political tenets he was particularly cautious to use all the conventional phrases which the civility of the time had devised as an admissible mode of language betwixt the two parties thus he spoke sometimes of the chevalier but never either of the prince which would have been sacrificing his own principles or of the pretender which would have been offensive to those of others again he usually designated the rebellion as the affair of seventeen forty five and spoke of any one engaged in it as a person who had been out at a certain period old-fashioned scottish civility such were literally the points of politeness observed in general society during the author's youth where it was by no means unusual in a company assembled by chance to find individuals who had borne arms on one side or other in the civil broils of seventeen forty five nothing according to my recollection could be more gentle and decorous than the respect these old enemies paid to each other's prejudices but in this i speak generally i have witnessed one or two explosions so that on the whole mr fairford was a man much liked and respected on all sides though his friends would not have been sorry if he had given a dinner more frequently as his little cellar contained some choice old wine of which on such rare occasions he was no niggard the whole pleasure of this good old-fashioned man of method besides that which he really felt in the discharge of his daily business was the hope to see his son allan the only fruit of a union which death early dissolved attain what in the father's eyes was the proudest of all distinctions the rank and fame of a well-employed lawyer every profession has its peculiar honours and mr fairford's mind was constructed upon so limited and exclusive a plan that he valued nothing save the objects of ambition which his own presented 
he would have shuddered at allan's acquiring the renown of a hero and laughed with scorn at the equally barren laurels of literature it was by the path of the law alone that he was desirous to see him rise to eminence and the probabilities of success or disappointment were the thoughts of his father by day and his dream by night the disposition of allan fairford as well as his talents were such as to encourage his father's expectations he had acuteness of intellect joined to habits of long and patient study improved no doubt by the discipline of his father's house to which generally speaking he conformed with the utmost docility expressing no wish for greater or more frequent relaxation than consisted with his father's anxious and severe restrictions when he did indulge in any juvenile frolics his father had the candour to lay the whole blame upon his more mercurial companion darcy latimer this youth as the reader must be aware had been received as an inmate into the family of mr fairford senior at a time when some of the delicacy of constitution which had abridged the life of his consort began to show itself in the son and when the father was of course peculiarly disposed to indulge his slightest wish that the young englishman was able to pay a considerable board was a matter of no importance to mr fairford it was enough that his presence seemed to make his son cheerful and happy he was compelled to allow that darcy was a fine lad though unsettled and he would have had some difficulty in getting rid of him and the apprehensions which his levities excited had it not been for the voluntary excursion which gave rise to the preceding correspondence and in which mr fairford secretly rejoiced as affording the means of separating allan from his gay companion at least until he should have assumed and become accustomed to the duties of his dry and laborious profession but the absence of darcy was far from promoting the end which the elder mr fairford had expected and desired the young men were united by the closest bonds of intimacy and the more so that neither of them sought nor desired to admit any others into their society allan fairford was averse to general company from a disposition naturally reserved and darcy latimer from a painful sense of his own unknown origin peculiarly afflicting in a country where high and low are professed genealogists the young men were all in all to each other it is no wonder therefore that their separation was painful and that its effects upon allan fairford joined to the anxiety occasioned by the tenor of his friend's letters greatly exceeded what the senior had anticipated the young man went through his usual duties his studies 
and the examinations to which he was subjected but with nothing like the zeal and assiduity which he had formerly displayed and his anxious and observant father saw but too plainly that his heart was with his absent comrade a philosopher would have given way to this tide of feeling in hopes to have diminished its excess and permitted the youths to have been some time together that their intimacy might have been broken off by degrees but mr fairford only saw the more direct mode of continued restraint which however he was desirous of veiling under some plausible pretext in the anxiety which he felt on this occasion he had held communication with an old acquaintance peter drudgeot with whom the reader is partly acquainted allan he said was once wood and i war and he was expecting every moment when he would start off in a wild goose chase after the callant latimer will sampson the horse hirer in candlemaker row had given him a hint that allan had been looking for a good hack to go to the country for a few days and then to oppose him downright he could not but think on the way his poor mother was removed would to heaven he was yoked to some tight piece of business no matter whether well or ill paid but some job that would hamshackle him at least until the courts rose if it were but for decency's sake peter drudgeot sympathized for peter had a son who reason or none would needs exchange the torn and inky fustian sleeves for the blue jacket and white lapel and he suggested as the reader knows the engaging our friend allan in the matter of poor peter peebles just opened by the desertion of young dumtowsty whose defection would be at the same time concealed and this drudgeot said would be felling two dogs with one stone with these explanations the reader will hold a man of the elder fairford's sense and experience free from the hazardous and impatient curiosity with which boys fling a puppy into a deep pond merely to see if the creature can swim however confident in his son's talents which were really considerable he would have been very sorry to have involved him in the duty of pleading a complicated and difficult case upon his very first appearance at the bar had he not resorted to it as an effectual way to prevent the young man from taking a step which his habits of thinking represented as a most fatal one at his outset of life betwixt two evils mr fairford chose that which was in his own apprehension the least and like a brave officer sending forth his son to battle rather chose he should die upon the breach than desert the conflict with dishonour neither did he leave him to his own unassisted energies like alpheus preceding hercules he himself encountered the augean mass of peter people's law matters it was to the old man a labour of love 
to place in a clear and undistorted view the real merits of this case which the carelessness and blunders of peter's former solicitors had converted into a huge chaotic mass of unintelligible technicality and such was his skill and industry that he was able after the severe toil of two or three days to present to the consideration of the young counsel the principal facts of the case in a light equally simple and comprehensible with the assistance of a solicitor so affectionate and indefatigable allan fairford was enabled when the day of trial arrived to walk towards the court attended by his anxious yet encouraging parent with some degree of confidence that he would lose no reputation upon this arduous occasion they were met at the door of the court by poor peter peebles in his usual plentitude of wig and selsitude of hat he seized on the young pleader like a lion on his prey how is it all with you mr allan how is all with you man the awful day is come at last a day that will be long-minded in this house poor peter peebles against plainstains conjoined processes hearing in presence stands for the short roll for this day i have not been able to sleep for a week for thinking of it and i dare to say neither has the lord president himself for such a cause but your father guard me take a wee drap over muckle of his pint bottle the other night it's no right to mix brandy with business mr fairford i would have been the whirr of liquor if i would have drank as muckle as you twa would have had me but there's a time for all things and if ye will dine with me after the case is heard or whilk is the same or maybe better i'll gang my ways home with you and i winna object to a cheerful glass within the bounds of moderation old fairford shrugged his shoulders and hurried past the client saw his son wrapped in the sable bombazine which in his eyes was more venerable than an archbishop's lawn and could not help fondly patting his shoulder and whispering to him to take courage and show he was worthy to wear it the party entered the outer hall of the court once the place of meeting of the ancient scottish parliament and which corresponds to the use of westminster hall in england serving as a vestibule to the inner house as it is termed and a place of dominion to certain sedentary personages called lords ordinary the earlier part of the morning was spent by old fairford in reiterating his instructions to allan and in running from one person to another from whom he thought he could still glean some grains of information either concerning the point at issue or collateral cases meantime poor peter peebles whose shallow brain was altogether unable to bear the importance of the moment kept as close to his young counsel as shadow to substance affected now to speak loud 
now to whisper in his ear now to deck his ghastly countenance with wreathed smiles now to cloud it with a shade of deep and solemn importance and anon to contort it with the sneer of scorn and derision these moods of the client's mind were accompanied with singular mockings and mowings fantastic gestures which the man of rags and litigation deemed appropriate to his changes of countenance now he brandished his arm aloft now thrust his fist straight out as if to knock his opponent down now he laid his open palm on his bosom and now hanging it abroad he gallantly snapped his fingers in the air these demonstrations and the obvious shame and embarrassment of allan fairford did not escape the observation of the juvenile idlers in the hall they did not indeed approach peter with their usual familiarity from some feelings of deference towards fairford though many accused him of conceit in presuming to undertake at this early stage of his practice a case of considerable difficulty but allan notwithstanding this forbearance was not the less sensible that he and his companion were the subjects of many a passing jest and many a shout of laughter with which that region at all times abounds at length the young counsel's patience gave way and as it threatened to carry his presence of mind and recollection along with it allan frankly told his father that unless he was relieved from the infliction of his client's personal presence and instructions he must necessarily throw up his brief and decline pleading the case hush hush my dear allan said the old gentleman almost at his own wit's end upon hearing this dilemma dinna mind the silly ne'er-do-well we cannot keep the man from hearing his own cause though he be not quite right in the head on my life sir answered allan i shall be unable to go on he drives everything out of my remembrance and if i attempt to speak seriously of the injuries he has sustained and the condition he is reduced to how can i expect but that the very appearance of such an absurd scarecrow will turn it all into ridicule there is something in that said saunders fairford glancing a look at poor peter and then cautiously inserting his forefinger under his bob wig in order to rub his temple and aid his invention he is no figure for the forebar to see without laughing but how to get rid of him to speak sense or anything like it is the last thing he will listen to stay i allan my darling have patience i'll get him off on the instant like a gauf ba so saying he hastened to his ally peter drudgeot who on seeing him with marks of haste in his gait and care upon his countenance clapped his pen behind his ear with what's the stir now mr saunders is there aught wrong 
here's a dollar man said mr saunders now or never peter do me a good turn yonder's your namesake peter peebles will drive the swine through our bonny hanks of yarn get him over to john's coffee-house man give him his meridian keep him there drunk or sober till the hearing is over the simile is obvious from the old manufacture of scotland when the goodwife's thrift as the yarn wrought in the winter was called when laid down to bleach by the burnside was peculiarly exposed to the inroads of pigs seldom well regulated about a scottish farmhouse enough said quoth peter drudgeat no way displeased with his own share in the service required we's do your bidding accordingly the scribe was presently seen whispering in the ear of peter peebles whose response came forth in the following broken form leave the court for one minute on this great day of judgment not i by the rage eh what brandy did ye say french brandy couldn't ye, ye fetch a stoop to the bar under your coat man impossible nay if it's clean impossible and if we have an hour good till they get through the single bill and the summer roll i carena if i cross the clothes with you i am sure i need something to keep my heart up this awful day but i'll no stay above an instant not above a minute of time nor drink a boon a single gill in a few minutes afterwards the two peters were seen moving through the parliament close which new-fangled affectation has termed a square the triumphant drudgeat leading captive the passive peebles whose legs conducted him towards the dram-shop while his reverted eyes were fixed upon the court they dived into the cimmerian abysses of john's coffee-house formerly the favourite rendezvous of the classical and genial dr pitcairn and were for the present seen no more relieved from his tormentor allan fairford had time to rally his recollections which in the irritation of his spirits had nearly escaped him and to prepare himself for a task the successful discharge or failure in which must he was aware have the deepest influence upon his fortunes he had pride was not without a consciousness of talent and the sense of his father's feelings upon the subject impelled him to the utmost exertion above all he had that sort of self-command which is essential to success in every arduous undertaking and he was constitutionally free from that feverish irritability by which those whose over-active imaginations exaggerate difficulties render themselves incapable of encountering such when they arrive having collected all the scattered and broken associations which were necessary allan's thoughts reverted to dumfrieshire and the precarious situation in which he feared his beloved friend had placed himself and once and again he consulted his watch eager to have his present task commenced and ended that he might hasten to darcy's assistance the hour and moment at length arrived 
the macer shouted with all his well-remembered brazen strength of lungs poor peter peebles versus plainstains per dumtousy at toff maister daniel dumtousty dumtousty answered not the summons which deep and swelling as it was could not reach across the queen's ferry but our master allan fairford appeared in his place the court was very much crowded for much amusement had been received on former occasions when peter had volunteered his own oratory and had been completely successful in routing the gravity of the whole procedure and putting to silence not indeed the counsel of the opposite party but his own both bench and audience seemed considerably surprised at the juvenile appearance of the young man who appeared in the room of dumtowsty for the purpose of opening this complicated and long depending process and the common herd were disappointed at the absence of peter the client the punchinello of the expected entertainment the judges looked with a very favourable countenance on our friend allan most of them being acquainted more or less with so old a practitioner as his father and all or almost all affording from civility the same fair play to the first pleading of a counsel which the house of commons yields to the maiden speech of one of its members lord bladdersgate was an exception to this general expression of benevolence he scowled upon allan from beneath his large shaggy grey eyebrows just as if the young lawyer had been usurping his nephew's honours instead of covering his disgrace and from feelings which did his lordship little honour he privately hoped the young man would not succeed in the cause which his kinsman had abandoned even lord bladdersgate however was in spite of himself pleased with the judicious and modest tone in which allan began his address to the court apologizing for his own presumption and excusing it by the sudden illness of his learned brother for whom the labor of opening a cause of some difficulty and importance had been much more worthily designed he spoke of himself as he really was and of young dumtowsty as what he ought to have been taking care not to dwell on either topic a moment longer than was necessary the old judge's looks became benign his family pride was propitiated and pleased equally with the modesty and civility of the young man whom he had thought forward and officious he relaxed the scorn of his features into an expression of profound attention the highest compliment and the greatest encouragement which a judge can render to the counsel addressing him having succeeded in securing the favourable attention of the court the young lawyer using the lights which his father's experience and knowledge of business had afforded him proceeded with an address and clearness unexpected from one of his years to remove from the case itself those complicated formalities with which it had been loaded as a surgeon strips from a wound the dressings which had been hastily wrapped round it 
in order to proceed to his cure secundum artem developed of the cumbrous and complicated technicalities of litigation with which the perverse obstinacy of the client the inconsiderate haste or ignorance of his agents and the evasions of a subtle adversary had invested the process the cause of poor peter peebles standing upon its simple merits was no bad subject for the declamation of a young counsel nor did our friend allan fail to avail himself of its strong points he exhibited his client as a simple-hearted honest well-meaning man who during a co-partnership of twelve years had gradually become impoverished while his partner this former clerk having no funds but his share of the same business into which he had been admitted without any advance of stock had become gradually more and more wealthy their association said allan and the little flight was received with some applause resembled the ancient story of the fruit which was carved with a knife poisoned on one side of the blade only so that the individual to whom the envenomed portion was served drew decay and death from what afforded savour and sustenance to the consumer of the other moiety he then plunged boldly into the mare magnum of a comte's between the parties he pursued each false statement from the waste-book to the day-book from the day-book to the bill-book from the bill-book to the ledger placed the artful interpolations and insertions of the fallacious plainstains in array against each other and against the fact and availing himself to the utmost of his father's previous labours and his own knowledge of a comte's in which he had been sedulously trained he laid before the court a clear and intelligible statement of the affairs of the copartnery showing with precision that a large balance must at the dissolution have been due to his client sufficient to have enabled him to have carried on business on his own account and thus to have retained his situation in society as an independent and industrious tradesman but instead of this justice being voluntarily rendered by the former clerk to his former master by the party obliged to his benefactor by one honest man to another his wretched client had been compelled to follow his quondam clerk his present debtor from court to court had found his just claims met with well-invented but unfounded counterclaims had seen his party shift his character of pursuer or defender as often as harlequin effects his transformations till in a chase so varied and so long the unhappy litigant had lost substance reputation and almost the use of reason itself and came before their lordships an object of thoughtless derision to the unreflecting of compassion to the better-hearted and of awful meditation to every one who considered that in a country where excellent laws were administered 
by upright and incorruptible judges a man might pursue an almost indisputable claim through all the mazes of litigation lose fortune reputation and reason itself in the chase and now come before the supreme court of his country in the wretched condition of his unhappy client a victim to protracted justice and to that hope delayed which sickens the heart the force of this appeal to feeling made as much impression on the bench as had been previously affected by the clearness of allan's argument the absurd form of peter himself with his tow-wig was fortunately not present to excite any ludicrous emotion and the pause that took place when the young lawyer had concluded his speech was followed by a murmur of approbation which the ears of his father drank in as the sweetest sounds that had ever entered them many a hand of congratulation was thrust out to his grasp trembling as it was with anxiety and finally with delight his voice faltering as he replied ay ay i kenned allan was the lad to make a spoon or spoil a horn said of an adventurous gipsy who resolves at all risks to convert a sheep's horn into a spoon the counsel on the other side an old practitioner who had noted too closely the impression made by allan's pleading not to fear the consequences of an immediate decision he paid the highest compliments to his very young brother the benjamin as he would presume to call him of the learned faculty said the alleged hardships of mr peebles were compensated by his being placed in a situation where the benevolence of their lordships had assigned him gratuitously such assistance as he might not otherwise have obtained at a high price and allowed his young brother had put many things in such a new point of view that although he was quite certain of his ability to refute them he was honestly desirous of having a few hours to arrange his answer in order to be able to follow mr fairford from point to point he had further to observe there was one point of the case to which his brother whose attention had been otherwise so wonderfully comprehensive had not given the consideration which he expected it was founded on the interpretation of certain correspondence which had passed betwixt the parties soon after the dissolution of the copartnery the court having heard mr toff readily allowed him two days for preparing himself hinting at the same time that he might find his task difficult and affording the young counsel with high encomiums upon the mode in which he had acquitted himself the choice of speaking either now or at the next calling of the cause upon the point which plainstain's lawyer had adverted to allan modestly apologized for what in fact had been an omission very pardonable in so complicated a case and professed himself instantly ready to go through that correspondence and prove that it was in form and substance exactly applicable 
to the view of the case he had submitted to their lordships he applied to his father who sat behind him to hand him from time to time the letters in the order in which he meant to read and comment upon them old counsellor toff had probably formed an ingenious enough scheme to blunt the effect of the young lawyer's reasoning by thus obliging him to follow up a process of reasoning clear and complete in itself by a hasty and extemporary appendix if so he seemed likely to be disappointed for allan was well prepared on this as on other parts of the cause and recommended his pleading with a degree of animation which added force even to what he had formerly stated and might perhaps have occasioned the old gentleman to regret his having again called him up when his father as he handed him the letters put one into his hand which produced a singular effect on the pleader at the first glance he saw that the paper had no reference to the affairs of peter peebles but the first glance also showed him what even at the time and in that presence he could not help reading and which being read seemed totally to disconcert his ideas he stopped short in his harangue gazed upon the paper with a look of surprise and horror uttered an exclamation and flinging down the brief which he had in his hand hurried out of court without returning a single word of answer to the various questions what was the matter was he taken unwell should not a chair be called etc etc the elder mr fairford who remained seated and looked as senseless as if he had been made of stone was at length recalled to himself by the anxious inquiries of the judges and the counsel after his son's health he then rose with an air in which was mingled the deep habitual reverence in which he held the court with some internal cause of agitation and with difficulty mentioned something of a mistake a piece of bad news allan he hoped would be well enough to-morrow but unable to proceed further he clasped his hands together exclaiming my son my son and left the court hastily as if in pursuit of him what's the matter with the old bitch next tradition ascribes this whimsical style of language to the ingenious and philosophical lord kames said an acute metaphysical judge though somewhat coarse in his manners aside to his brethren this is a daft cause bladdersgate first it drives the poor man mad that audit then your nevoy goes daft with fright and flies the pit then this smart young hopeful is off the hooks with too hard study i fancy and now old saunders fairford is as lunatic as the best of them what say ye till it ye bitch nothing my lord answered bladdersgate much too formal to admire the levities in which his philosophical brother sometimes indulged i say nothing but pray to heaven to keep our own wits amen amen answered his learned brother for some of us have but few to spare the court then arose 
and the audience departed greatly wondering at the talent displayed by allan fairford at his first appearance in such a case so difficult and so complicated and assigning a hundred conjectural causes each different from the others for the singular interruption which had clouded his day of success the worst of the whole was that six agents who had each come to the separate resolution of thrusting a retaining fee into allan's hand as he left the court shook their heads as they returned the money into their leathern pouches and said that the lad was clever but they would like to see more of him before they engaged him in the way of business they did not like his louping away like a flea in a blanket End of chapter one